Pray with me this morning. I came into the church early this morning, and I, I feel like just, it's just battle. You ever, feel like, you ever wake up sometimes, you just like, it's, it's a battle. It's a battle. And I don't think it's a daylight change, uh, daylight savings change, change battle. I just feel like um, today's an important day. And I, I know the enemy knows how important today is. And so will you just pray that the Lord has his way? Father in heaven, there is no obliterator like you. Every wall, every defense, every tactic, every scheme, every plan of the enemy, Father, you don't have respect for any of it. For when we lift up your name high, God, you consume all things in your holy fire. I'm praying, God, today, purge us. Purge us, Lord, with holy fire. We want to be pure and spotless, God. We want to be wrinkle-free. We want to be a church, God, that brings the glory of Christ, God, back to front and center again. That's who we want to be, and that's who we came to be this morning. And so, God, I pray, search us, O Lord. Don't let your word allow us to hide. But I pray, God, you'd penetrate the deepest part of our heart. Because, Father, I know you. I know you too well. And, Lord, you long for us to be something that we can't even conceive. But it's always better. Always better. Let our lives glorify you in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to say... Thank you for coming today because I think y'all know it's going to be a minute today, right? You say, Pastor Scott, of all days to preach lengthy. I got up an hour early for you. <laughs> I actually thought, I thought, Lord, you know, I had a, another time I was going to preach this, Lord, but you changed my schedule, you know, and so you put it on this day. So I'm trusting you today. And uh, I feel like the Lord told me to say, you know, we'll sit in a deer stand for a long time. Uh, we'll go from store to store and shop for a long time, right? Um, so I'm going to ask you today is to give me a little time to speak, and you give him a little room to work. That's okay with you. You remember the Ten Commandments we had last year during the summertime? Uh, that was a series that I wasn't really eager to show up every Sunday morning because I always knew that that was going to hurt. In fact... Uh, after I got through uh, preaching on Sunday, I knew I was going to start studying again. And, you know, it was always my toes that got hit first before I brought to you guys. And, and this is one of those moments where I say, Lord, uh, I don't know how we live up to your standard in life. And I think that's just it. You know, you and I, we can't live out the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments is there to show us that we need Christ, right? But the whole, but the whole um, um, uh, emphasis in that is just that. That you can't do and live up to the standard that God has asked you to live up to unless Christ is living through you. And so today, I'm talking to men about these commandments. Now, it's not the Ten Commandments. I feel, uh, well, I'll be honest with you. There's still some things I just said, Lord, I don't know if I can preach that because I'm so done. Like, I, I myself, like, I'm a, I'm a man with unclean lips. And I'm amongst unclean people, you know, and so... I don't know if I can preach all of that, uh, and so I just explained to the Lord I didn't have time to do all that. That's how I justified it, um, and so I'm just going to condense what I think is probably most essential for us men, 
we're talking about how to be one flesh. It's not about her. It's not about him. It's us coming together. And so, um, so today, as we're talking, I just want to remind you that if you ever feel like there's no way, there's no way I, I can do that, or maybe you realize, you know what, I've just, I haven't been the husband I need to. I want you to know that this is not the place you come for shame and guilt. This is the opposite. This is the place you get set free from those things. And so what I want you to know is that whatever condemnation you may feel today, that is not of Christ. Uh, That is of the enemy who wants to make sure you stay in that lane of life. And so I I hope today that his word will set you free. Women, can I just remind you that love does not rejoice at wrongdoings, (laughs) but rejoices with the truth. Watch those nudges today and those prayers to say, well, thank God he's here today of all days. We got him here, Jesus. We got him here. Now go ahead and clean that fish up, okay? So just hang in there with us, okay? Um, and if you're not married, uh, then maybe you have a, a brother or, you know, an uncle or there's a man in your life. Can I tell you that if you're not a man, then you have the most to gain from today? Because when men change, they impact a sphere like nothing else. So pray for us men today that the Lord will do exactly what he wants us to to do. Lord, right now is the moment. Right here is the place. These are the people. Do all that is in your heart. Amen. Eternal Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 through 30. We are going to break down... This scripture, let me just say this as you turn there and get ready. Uh, I know that some of this is going to be not new because you've had the, the luxury of being able to be taught in church. And so I would just say, uh, let me just teach everyone so we all make the journey together. I want all of us to be on the same page. So if I'm telling you something new, I mean, if I'm not telling you something new, you know that, then just say, Lord, I pray somebody gets this better than the way I got it. Um, and, if you, if you, and sometimes the Lord just shows you the same old thing and it hits you differently. And you're like, whoa, I didn't, I didn't realize that was in there. And so uh, be patient with me today as, as I teach some things that you may already know. But again, my heart is that everyone makes the journey. Ephesians 5, 25 through 30 reads like this. Husbands, love your wives. And all the women said, amen. amen. I feel like you should have said amen a little better there, you know. Uh, Husbands, love your wives. Here we go. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. I want to start, I'm going to give you three things today, but I want to start right here at Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What type of love is this? This is not a friendly love. It's not an erotic love. It's not a brotherly love. It's not a family-type love. 
This is a absolute love. Uh, it's not governed by affection or acceptance or attraction. This is an assertive type of love. This is a willful love. Most importantly, this is a love of choice. It's what you choose to do. When your wife gives you all kinds of reasons to not love her because she's stressed, she's hormonal, she's exhausted, she's grumpy, gassy, grisly, or geriatric, it makes no difference. Those are all reasons to love her. Write this down, men. You need to know this. Agape love means giving her what she needs the most when she deserves it the least at great personal cost. I want to say that again because I think you need to really pay attention to what that is saying. Agape love, that's the unconditional love. Regardless of anything she's going through life, it says, I'll love you anyway, baby, is a love that says, I'm going to give her what she needs the most when she deserves it the least at great personal cost. Now, you and I, we, we follow Christ, and so Christ should be our example. He should show us this somewhere in Scripture so that we might know how also to replicate it. And Jesus does this in Luke chapter 22, verse 41 through 44. You've heard this story, no doubt, And he, when he withdrew from about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, notice he said, if you are willing, Father, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. What do we see here? Jesus does not want to do this. Can I tell you that Jesus did not want to die for you emotionally? He knew, he knew, he knew that this was going to be a cost. And this was not something he wanted to do. You have to understand, it wasn't just the wrath of God he was going to accept. At this time, never has there ever been a time in eternal past nor eternal future was this moment about to happen. And that Jesus and the Father was going to be separated. Because when Jesus died upon the cross, he says, Father, why have you forsaken me? Christ had to embrace all of the penalty of sin. And when it did that, a holy God cannot be connected with his son. And Jesus did not want to lose this, but he understood why he had to. And so when I tell you that Jesus made some hard choices for us, this was, this was a, a very clear picture. Jesus gave you what you needed most when you deserved it least at great personal cost. As men, we can see the example of Jesus and said, oh, that's how you meant to love your bride because he loved his bride, the church. This is the standard, men. Women, can I tell you that, when, when, uh, that God calls your men to love you the same way? To love you when you give your husband no reason to love you. Can I tell you that's not natural for a man to love you? Men don't want to love you naturally. That's not our love language. That's your love language. So when a man is loving you and you know it's a choiceful love, a love that he wills to do, you need to recognize that type of love. If you see your husband loving you when you give him reasons not to love you, he's still loving you in spite of you and he's willing to, to choose to love you. I think that's a great choice or a great type of love. So what I want you to do is simply this. When you see that happening, you need to stop, recognize it, and reward it. The saying goes, 
what gets rewarded gets repeated. Say it with me. What gets rewarded gets repeated. So when he does something you didn't ask him to do, but, uh, but you normally, or he normally does, uh, somehow, some way, he, you've always asked him to do these things, and, and, and all of a sudden he's doing them, and you didn't even ask him to do it. Can I remind you that what gets rewarded gets repeated? Uh, when he thinks ahead of the moment, right, instead of, instead of coming into a situation and realizing he, you need something, but when he, when he thinks ahead of the moment and he does something to provide comfort or safety without you ever having to ask it, what gets rewarded gets repeated. When he affirms you without you insinuating you need affirmation or love or some kind of verbal appreciation, what gets rewarded gets repeated. And when his eye contact tells you he's listening and that you matter most, even though a million other things are going through his head, can I tell you what gets rewarded gets repeated. Men have no interest in doing things without reward. That's why we'll go and kill the Lord. John, you know something about that? <laughs> we'll go and we'll, we'll trophy hunt and find the, the best trophy you can find. But you know what? We'll do it again and again and again. Not because we want the big buck on the wall, but because we want all the guys to reward our diligence to what we've done and what we've had. If there's no reward in it, we don't want to repeat it. And so, women, can I tell you, one of the most profound truths you can understand is that what gets rewarded gets repeated. If you like that behavior, reward it. Now, I will leave you up to that, how to figure out how to reward. We'll talk about that here in a couple of weeks anyway. All right, so it's simple with men, right? No evidence of the reward is no effort for the repeat. So what kind of love are we talking about here? Not just agape love, but Paul uses a word to depict this kind of love. He says here in Ephesians 5.25, he says, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's a Greek word. Peridomai says simply that he's willing to choose. It means he's willing to hand over or relinquish rights or to entrust oneself. This same word gave is actually, um, I see it all throughout scripture as the word delivered or handed over or arrested. Man, y'all know what happens when you get arrested? Let me just remind you, in case you don't know, you lose your freedom, okay? They place you in restraints, and you're forced to do things against your will. I'm talking about arresting, not getting married, okay? <laughs> Being arrested. So, this is where Jesus is at. Jesus' rights were taken from him, or was it? Was Jesus forced to do anything? He didn't want to. Matthew 27, 26 tells us this. Then he released him, this being Potter, then he released him from Barabbas, having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. That word delivered is the same word we read back in 525. And that literally means to give oneself freely, to, to, to be taken, to give away. Can I tell you that Jesus is not being forced to do anything here? Jesus was not forced to be crucified. Jesus said in John, 20, John 18, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. Jesus is not, his rights, his will, his freedom, those things are not being taken away. Jesus is in a place that he can decide to give it away and he chooses to give it away because of his love for you and I. 
That's the kind of love that he's calling us men to live. A, a love that looks at our wives and says, what rights do I need to let go of? What freedoms do I need to let go of? What will do I need to demote? What do I need to do? This is the same type of love. I don't know about you, but this is not my natural thinking. I don't think that way. When, when, when Julie and I are talking, by the way, pray for her and Morgan. They're, they're sick this morning. There's some kind of bug out there. It's just, you know, it's typical right now. But sometimes when I'm talking to Julie, I'm, I'm trying to work through some issues. And, and, uh, and I, don't, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think about saying, well, it's her will, Scott. It's her will, you know. I don't think about how to free her. I'm thinking, you know what? They don't fit inside what I want. That's not, that's not the direction. I'm the head of this marriage. That's not what I want. Okay, I'll do it. And we do. We do. But we don't do it because we love her. We do it because we want false peace. Isn't that the truth? Right back to whitewashing walls all over again. Filling cracks up. Oh, it's good. My marriage is good. It's healthy. It's good. You got a ton of false peace in it. Till something comes hurling at your wall and shatters through it because you hadn't mended the cracks. We cannot allow false peace in our homes. And false peace comes because we want something but won't say something about it. We won't communicate. And, and, and I, I would just encourage you, it's nothing wrong sitting down with your wife and saying, you know, I, I don't want this. It's not really what I want. But I know that Christ has called me to make sure you fulfill your, your mission in life. And so just know how I feel. And know, know my conviction. And if you feel like this is the best route, then I entrust myself into your wisdom at this moment. But just know I'm struggling with it. What you would typically find in a goodwill relationship is a wife who will come close and be there for her man and say, how can I help, baby? Because women really want to make sure that their man can walk in confidence. Women have an incredible ability. They bestow confidence in a man like nobody else can. But generally, we're too strong to allow that. We're independent. We're autonomous. If you die today, I'd be okay tomorrow. I can figure it out until it happens. But in this moment, we're trying to figure out how can we lay our life down. And that means we have to have a level of open and openness and transparency, which is what they're looking for. Can I tell you that your wife is okay with you being weak, with you having some fears? Because what they want to know is that will you trust them with the things that you're scared to death of. That you may not have the plan for tomorrow, but there's a vulnerability that she longs to connect with. She wants to be one with you. She doesn't want to just run around holding your shield up. She wants to understand the pain and the grief that you go through. And if you will open up your heart and allow her to see that you're willing, willing to lay these things down, you'll find a wife who will reciprocate. It's difficult, but it's right. And this is what Christ did. If we're not willing to, to do that, then how else, how else do we 
give her, if we're not sacrificing, if we're not looking over, if we're not laying down our will and we're not laying down our rights, if we're not doing those things, then how in the world are we going to give her what she needs the most when she deserves it the least at great personal cost? That is the cost. That is the cost. Because Jesus didn't have to pay that cost, but he understood what it meant to pay it. The second thing is we got to love her intentionally. Ephesians 5, 26 says this, that he might sanctify her. Sanctify her. Jesus' intentions were to sanctify the bride, sanctify the church. That is to make her holy. And the best way to understand that is to understand that holy means set apart. It's to, it's to make her special. It means to not allow for common use. In, for, in fact, the word holy really comes back from the priesthood in Moses' tabernacle. When, when God said, I want you to make vessels and I want you to, I want you to um, uh, bless these vessels and sanctify these vessels and set them apart for holy use. These cannot be used for any other purpose, any other way, except the way that I have prescribed them to be used. And if you use them any other way than I have told you to use them, if you clean them any other way that I've told you to clean them, or if you care for them any less than how I've told you to care for them, you have made them common and destitute, and they have been profaned, and they are unholy, and they cannot be used for their intended purpose. And this is the same word that he is using in terms of sanctification or sanctify. He's saying that your wife has a purpose in your life. And if you are going to allow her to be what she needs to be and fulfill the purpose in your life, you got to make sure that you treat her in a way that's uncommon, that's not common. You have to show her that she is special, that she's not like anything else. That means your care for her has to be uncommon. If you want her purpose to be uncommon, then her care has to be uncommon. And so guys, your wife needs to feel special, need to feel uncommon, like she's altogether different in your world because her purpose in your life is, is not like any other human being. If her purpose is uncommon, her care must be uncommon. To put it plainly, your care for her can't look like any other thing in your life, human or hobby. It has to be, it has to be different. It has to be different. How do we know? How do we do this? It says, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. Maybe a better way to say this is simply this. Having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the things he spoke to her. This is how he made her holy. This is how he made her set apart. Did he make her feel special? Yes. He did so with his words, with how he spoke to her. That's what the word word means. It means that which is said or word or saying or expression or statement of any kind. Not only that, but his word, to give more force to that word, the word is rhema. And a rhema word is a word given in season. So let me package this all up for you today. It simply means this. If you want to make your wife feel special, speak things to her at the right time that makes her better. It's just simple stuff, right? But are we doing it? That's the question. Can I clarify that? If you want to sanctify her by your word, then care for her in an uncommon way because she feels an uncommon purpose in your life. Uh, that, then make her feel special by speaking things to her at the right time that move her from what she is to what you see she can become. 
You have to have some clarity in your wife's life and say, she might be this right now. She might frustrate you right now. There was a season in my life I didn't think Julie and I were going to make it. The only thing that was hanging on was the fact that I could not give myself into the word divorce. I could not, I could not contemplate that, but I thought many times, and there were many opportunities that I was in a weak moment traveling somewhere in a hotel. I thought I was going to give in and give up, but the grace of God helped me, and I realized that I was the one that needed to change and not her. But if I wanted her to change, I had to make her change by my leading and my loving. It was my responsibility. If I'm angry, if I'm frustrated, then that's my responsibility. I'm the man of my house. I can't just walk around with my chest out and expect things to happen. I'm the head disciple. I'm the head leader. I ought to be the head cheerleader, the head encourager, the head sacrifice, the head, all of it comes from me. If I'm not demonstrating, I can't be expecting. You hear what I'm saying today? When the word calls us the head of the household, it means you pay the price first. It means you make the action first. You want it to be in your house? Then you do it first. You disciple, you change, you lead, you love. That falls on you, Scott. Quit griping, quit complaining. Jesus spoke life into his church because, and because he did, he moved the church from what she was to what she one day will be. And there were some things that I didn't like preferentially in, ter- uh, preferentially in terms of my wife. And so I had to tell Scott, you have to start using your mouth and your actions to change her from what she is to what you need her to be. But she's not going to get there on her own. And this is what the Word of God tells us to do. My job is to speak life into Julie's soul. What are you doing with your wife? I'm not always good at that. My volunteers move. I'm not always good at that. Sometimes I come home from a hard day. Sometimes I come home from a difficult day. And when I, when I do, you know how it is, right? You come and you talk things through and, 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 and you're, you're talking to your wife. A lot, the problem is a lot of times what happens is simply this, is that you and I, we're talking to our wives not about our day, But notice this, from our day. Y'all know the difference, don't you? Not about our day, but from our day. And I want to just explain to you and demonstrate to you what exactly that means. Because I don't think we really understand what's happening. See, women are soft-hearted. They're good listeners. They're nurturers. They long to hear their husband's heart. Men, we live in a fool of negativity, and people come through our lives. Come on, guys, when y'all get ready. Uh, people, people just walk into our lives all day long, not with our marital problems, but with their issues in life. Amen. You go to work, and, you, and you, you're right next, to, next door to negative Nancy in the cubicle. Go ahead, y'all just walking out and move this stuff out of the way. What happens is they, they, they traffic into our life. They step right into our life with their fungus and everything else with no toenails cut or nothing like that. Who knows where they've been. They've been stepping in cow manure all day. They come right through us. They want to tell us their problems. And then they leave. And guess what? You and I, we got problems. 
Is it just me? Is it just me? When you work somewhere or when you go somewhere or you go to the school or guys, when we go to the game sometimes and there's all kinds of junk that's, that's in our life. And the problem with this simply is this. You and I, we're, Lord, <laughs> sanctify me, O oh God. We take our wives and we wash them with our words. We bring all that stuff home. And our, our wives' vessels, we don't talk to them about our day. We talk to them from our day. And then the sad thing is our wives are the only one that can really provide the things that we need in life. They are a cool drink on a hot day. And can you imagine what it's like to drink out of a cup that's been washed with everybody else's filth? And that's where we're at. And I think we know this unconsciously. But we get so desperate as men that we'll drink of it anyway. Knowing that all that we've given out is all we're taking right back in. And we're not happy with the fact that we got to drink this water, but to survive, we'll do it anyway. Why? Why? I'm not going to drink this water. Y'all crazy. <laughs> Let me just put that away real fast. Because you can laugh, but you drinking that water. If we're honest, whatever we use to wash the cup determines the quality of what's in the cup. Whatever we use to wash the cup determines the quality of what the cup has to offer. What do you want your wife to give you? Give her clean water. And she will return what you've given her. It's not easy because we have to go to work. And I'll tell you how it works out. Let me just, let me just play this out. You go to work, and you work with a guy who has no work ethic. He's lazy. He's all get out. And somehow you get tasked with him. He's doing a project. You're doing a project. And you know that if he doesn't do his job, it's going to look bad on you. So what do you do? You work twice as hard, right? Because you can't look like this idiot over here. You're, you're not going to look that bad. And so you work your tail off trying to cover for some other man who doesn't understand what work ethic is. But then when you come home, you're frustrated, and you rightly should be. You come home and what you realize is that, well, now the kids are creating jobs for me. You know? They're like, man, what in the world? I got to cover at work. I got to cover at home. And then somehow your wife leaves a few things around. And you're so frustrated at him because of him not doing what you ask him to do 
And now you come home and your family is all of a sudden living below your expectations. And your wife, who always, but not today, doesn't go and do what you've asked her to do. And then all of a sudden, you're frustrated because you're projecting all the problems you have at work. You wouldn't say that because that's too clinical of a diagnosis. But really what's happening is just that. You're just overflowing on there on them and so when she feels all of this you're just washing the cup all day long but then at the end of the day at the end of the night you jump in the bed and you're like let's talk what's, what's going on baby what's happening tonight the next morning why are you so mad why are you so angry what you you can't you know and, and all of a sudden she don't want to cook you no cold sandwiches no more no as i said cook you cold sandwiches right because she's upset with you. All these things start to happen. Women have these telltales. But I'm just saying this. Is that if you'll pay attention to what you're washing her with. That's the reason why the church is so set apart. That's the reason why the church is so holy. Because Jesus is washing us with his word. If you take away that word, we ain't holy no more. If you take away that word, there ain't no Asbury revival. No, all those things go away because it's the renewing of the word that sets men's minds and hearts upon God that allows the Holy Spirit to come in and rapture and change and do things we would never think about doing because his word is aligning us with the heart of the Father. You and I need word. Your wife needs your word. She needs a word that's uncommon. She needs a word that's timely. She needs a word that lets her know that we are loving her intentionally. So let me just create some accountability of phrase around here. I want to I adopt some language, men. If I ask you, how clean is your cup? You know what I'm asking, right? What's your words been like? Today when I was praying, I honestly felt, Lord, I want a revival, but I want a specific revival. Guys, you you probably don't ever hear that verbiage in my mouth, revival. I've I've grown up all my life with revival. Revival, revival. I, I don't want revival like any other revival. I want a revival where the Lord resets the the house again. Resets the order of the house again. That men and women are in this dance. Do you know what the most beautiful thing about a dance is? You ever watch Dance with the, the Stars? You ever seen it before? I, I'm not that kind of guy. But when I'm looking at choreography, I used to love to dance a long time ago. I, I still kind of got it, to be honest with you. <laughs> and I ain't talking about two-stepping either, all right? But I don't want to do it today. What I love about a good dance is simply this. You have a man and a woman, they're dancing, and you, you never really know who's leading that dance. No one's fixated upon the dance. Everyone's in tune with the rhythm and, 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 and the, the synchronicity, the, all the things that are happening and, and, and how they flow and the move and uh, the beauty of the dance, the rhythm of the dance. And no one's saying, oh, look at the man lead. <laughs> oh, look at the woman follow. All that goes away. Because a real good dance, a beautiful dance, really reflects the heart of a choreographer. A good dance makes you say, wow, somebody knows what they're talking about right there. And can I tell you that this dance that that we're in in marriage has nothing to do with you, nothing to do with me. 
has everything to do with the choreographer. It reflects the heart of God, the person who created it. When an unsaved person looks at my marriage, he ought not look at me and say, well, look at Scott or look at Julie. He ought to say, what is it about (laughs) y'all? What is it about y'all? And I say, listen, man, we're just dancing this thing out to the heart of our father. It ain't about her. It ain't about me. It's about him. And so this is what marriage is. But we have to make sure that we're doing everything we can. That means making sure that your, your cup is clean. Last thing is this. Love her sensitively. Are y'all learning anything today? Begrudgingly, yeah. Love her sensitively. Paul then continues by saying this, Ephesians 5, 28 through 29. In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. You, you, you just need to, you need to focus on that right there. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. The word nourish really here is, is, is pretty impactful. When you nourish something, you're feeding it. You're providing for it. You're promoting. You're supporting the, the development of something. For a long time, I, I'll be honest, for a long time, I just thought marriage was about what I wanted to do and that Julie was there to make it better. That, that's what marriage was, all right? Me and Julie are going to have our relationship, and then I'm going to have some external things that I'm going to do, and Julie's going to be okay with that. She's going to compliment, compliment me on that stuff, and then she's going to make everything I do apart from her better. And what am I going to do for her? I'm going to tell her how great a wife she is for making my life better. That's what I'm going to tell her. That's, that's why it's going to work. And now you all know why we had some, some problems. Because this marriage was all about Scott Brandon. And Julie was there to make it better. Julie was there to make Scott Brandon better. That's what she was there for. She just didn't know it. <laughs> she didn't know it. I love you, baby. Thank you for not buying into the lie, all right? And that's not what it is. You can be naive that way. But really, marriage is like, is like uh, um, having a garden. Your wife is a garden. Matter of fact, throughout Scripture, we see that, um, that metaphor that's similarly quite a bit. So you understand that the greatest thing about nourishing your garden is what? What do you get to, to make a, a garden grow? How many of you guys got gardens? Some good-sized gardens. Gardens you can be proud about. Nobody's proud. <laughs> Nobody's proud. I know I've been to um, Gannon and Kaylin's garden. They, they got a nice garden. They got a big old garden. They, they produce some big old, like, Adam and Eve garden uh, of Eden type of fruits in there. Um, and so I know this is that their concern with the needs of their garden. If their garden's going to produce good fruit, then they got to be interested in what their garden needs. Guys, I'm telling you, take care of your garden. Your garden will produce the fruit that you want if you're constantly focused on your garden's needs. Your garden needs to be nourished. It needs, it, I don't want to say manure, but you know, things that add to it, you know. Uh, supplements, nutrition, all those other things. And so, so God has created us and commanded us. What was the first thing that God gave man to do? What's the first thing he said to do? God created a man and then what? Put him in the garden to work the garden. We ought to be pros at this. We were created to work the garden. And the garden wasn't going to satisfy us. Then God brings Eve along. Eve satisfies us because the first thing that Adam says is what? Whoa. No, he didn't say whoa. 
And he said, my goodness, look at this beautiful woman. Let me sing a song unto the Lord. Nourish that wife. If you are what you eat, then what is your garden growing? Okay, next point. We were created to develop and maintain support wives. So loving her sensitively is being sensitive to her needs of development. You need to develop your wife. The next thing he tells us is cherish. Cherish. And funny, the, the word cherish is, is not what you think it is. In fact, he's speaking to the idea of warming something. Guys, have y'all ever been uh, chopping wood on a cold day? You went out, went hunting on a cold day? I know I've been up early in the morning, 5 o'clock in the morning, fishing, freezing out there on the boat. I can't even make a, set, a, a, fit, a fist of my, of my hand because it's so stiff, it's so cold. But you know what? I'm out there fishing and I'm loving it. The, you, you know what happened the next day? The next day I found some gloves because I wanted to go back out there fishing again. I can tell you this all day long that whatever men want to do, we're going to do. If we enjoy it, we're going to find ways to solve the problem. That's what we do. We fix problems. And so even though it might be cold, we'll figure out how to overcome the cold because we want to do that. Can I tell you that when the word says to cherish your wife, the word literally means to warm up. To warm up. Your wife wants to do something, but it's too cold to do it. I don't know about you, but my wife cannot stand to have cold feet. Anything that she has to do around the house, she will get, Julie will get it. She'll probably kill me for telling you guys this. But she'll get in the bed, wrap up her feet, get them warm, and then she's good to go. That tells me a few things. That tells me that Julie needs the environment to be right for her to do what she really wants to do. She needs to bring her out of somewhere that she's distracted. She could do this if she was cold, but she wouldn't be as effective. Or she could do this, but, it's, but it wouldn't be something she would want to do. Or maybe she couldn't do it all because it's too cold. All I know is this, is that if I will help her get warm, then she'll do the things that she'll want to do. She'll also do those things effectively, and she'll probably love me in the process of it. When Paul says to cherish our wives, what he's saying is, is, Think about her environment. Does she, have a, does she have comfort? Does she have safety? Is she sure? What things are we not providing? Making her live in a cold context of a relationship. Women do not like to live in a cold relationship. They thrive in a warm relationship. Our job is to go out and buy whatever we got to buy, Say whatever we got to say, do whatever we got to do, so that way she can be warm. Because when she's warm, she'll do what you want her to do anyway. She just needs your help to do it. And that's the way God created her. Know that when she talks, when she talks, when she says, let's talk, she's asking to be warmed up, okay? All right, guys, stop for a second. When she says, let's talk, she's asking to be warmed up. She wants to know what her husband is feeling, what his fears or concerns might be, like I alluded to earlier, and how he's processing them. She might even want you to stop and pray at that moment. If a woman ever says, let's talk, think about the opportunity to stop and pray. She needs to know that you're leading in that moment. Guys, when we say, let's talk, here's what we're thinking. We're thinking, how can we exchange information to solve the problem with a clear and transparent purpose, right? That's what we're talking about. When you and I get together and talk, as guys, we're like, here's the problem. What are we going to do? We're going to fix that problem. What's it required to fix that problem? 
We need to be clear and transparent about our purpose, and we need to exchange information that's not sensitive, relational, or other type of things. We need to make sure that what we're saying is clear and understood so we can accomplish the task, okay? That's how men talk. That's not how you talk to your wife. That's how men talk. But that's how I talk to my wife when Julie says, can I talk to you? And I'll say, yeah, the fixer's here. Let's, what, what do you need? And so I've, I've taught you to say, this is not you fixing this. This is you listening to me. And then I go, okay, let me step back. And then, guys, can I help you? This is what I say after she's done. Because in my mind, I'm still fixing something. Something's broke here, you know? And so here's what I say. What I hear you saying, Julie, is, and I put it back out there, and if it's right, then I fix my hearing problem. And that's how I feel okay about it, okay? I fix my hearing problem. So where do we fill it with my wives? That's a multitude of things, but it's 1126. I'm going to wrap up. Three questions I'm going to give you with right here. Uh, worship team, y'all go ahead and come on back. I want to give you three things, men, three things to send you home with. Here's how, to, here's how you can assess your, your marriage, where you're at. Oh, just three. The first question I want to ask you, men, is this. Is who initiates spiritual growth in your home? If we're going to walk this thing out, if we're really going to live up to the commandments that God has set before us, to be the man that God desires us to be and the one that he has gifted your wife with, then we have to ask these questions. And the first one is, is who initiates spiritual growth in your home? Who says, let's sit down and talk about this? Let's see what the Bible says about it. Maybe we need to spend some time praying about it. Who says that? Who does that? That should be you. And if it's not, then change it today. It's real simple. And if your wife says, you know what, I want to just say, wait, baby, I love you. Let me lead right here. Let's, let's dig in the word. Guys, it, let me say this. It, typically, typically, what I find a lot is, is that most women are more spiritually adept than the men are. That, that women tend to lead spiritually more than the men. That's okay. Is Julie smarter than me? You better believe that she is. There's no, my pride can't even be, I don't even have a problem with that. That woman is way smarter than me. The thing is, is I'm still the head of the house. And God gave her to me to solve the problem, to figure out what we need to do. And so when I step to the plate to lead, my job is to make sure I bring all her brilliance into the situation and make sure she knows how to fit the mission. My job is to make sure everyone's in place to do what they're supposed to do. My job is not to be the main uh, intellect in the house, the main feeler in the house. My job is to lead people forward. I don't have to have all the skill sets. I don't have to, I can, I can, I can be okay in some insecurities. And so it's okay if your wife knows more and thinks deeper. Let her push you that way. If she prays better than you, then okay. Let her teach you how to pray. She is not there to pull you down and make you less. That woman is there to build you up. But you got to understand that she's a gift to you and not competition for you. Bring her in to leading her and leading your family. Who initiates spiritual growth? 
I know some of the men, y'all are like, oh, can we get out of here, please, God? I'm so done with this sermon. You should have studied it, all right? You should have studied it. Second one is this, is who disciplines the children when you're both home? Who disciplines the children when you're both home? Women are not made to be the disciplinarians. Can they? Oh, yeah, they can. I got one right there. My mom took care of business, y'all. She took care of business. But that's not what she wants to do. My mom wanted to love me. She wanted to encourage me. She wanted to guide me. She was forced into a place that she had to. Men, you and I, we can discipline. We can discipline and change attitude the next time. I can walk in there, and I have. I had to discipline my girls before, and I disciplined them. And right in that moment, right in that second, I was done with it. I could turn it off. I love my girls right back up. I, I, didn't, I didn't walk away holding some kind of regret or hurt or pain. I was done. I came to discipline because I love my kids. But then after that, I was right back to being dead, and I had no problems in the world. I was good to go. Men have that ability because we can compartmentalize. Is it time for you to get a whooping? Oh, okay. Whooping. Psh, right back. Let's go. What's for lunch? What's for dinner? We have that ability. There's a reason why we have that ability. But your wife is sitting there pulling everything together. She's threading all of this stuff together and wrapping it all up in one. And she's, she can't release. She can't let go. And she needs a man to step up into the middle of it and say, say it again, see what happens. Do it again and, and count the number of breaths after that. See what, see what happens. They want you to lead. This is a way you can. And number three is this. Who asks the most questions and gives the most statements? Let me say this. Let me read this so I'm specific. Who is the one who is always asking what to do for dinner or, or about the decision you need to make about next week's plans? Because whichever person is asking those questions is the one who feels the weight of responsibility for them. The real question is who is carrying the weight of the responsibility in the marriage? Many women have to initiate discussions and make plans and ask for the big questions because her husbands do not. I struggle with this area. Julie does this so well. We don't want to show the responsibility of making life's plans or making life work because wives are better at that. But the problem is that we let the wives carry the burden. When this happens, wives don't feel cherished. They don't feel nurtured. They don't feel protected. In other words, they're not getting what God designed for them in a husband because they want the husband to carry those things. So am I saying that you're a failure of a husband if you're not making plans? And, no, no. Again, remember, it's, it's, it's understanding her value and her resource to you. But don't let your wife carry those burdens. Let me give you an example. We're out of here. So this weekend, um, we had a big sleepover at my house. And uh, Julie got called into work on her day off. And she had to go buy a shop. She had to go shopping. And she had to do all these things. And and I had a lot of work to do that I needed to catch up on. And I just realized that Julie was going to do a lot of things and not ask me for any help at all. She was going to carry all the weight of making sure the house was right and that the food was right. And you know all the things because that's what women do. We make it right. They make it right. Not we. that They make it right. And so I, I thought, you know what? It's not fair for her to carry all that. 
I've already had this cooking in my, in my spirit already. And I thought, you know what? Now she planned all that stuff, but it's not her right to carry all those things. So what do I do? I bust out the broom and bust out. I'm not trying to brag, but I do all those things to, to alleviate what she has to think about because I know that I'm not being a good husband if I'm causing her to carry the whole load. Would Julie carry the whole load? Yes. Has she done it before? Time and time and time and time again. You can ask any of my, one of my family members. Anytime you come to my house, Julie is carrying the load. And I just realized a, a few weekends ago that I've just been living in luxury. Looking over my wife sweating and loving me at the same time as best she can. And I've not been living up to the husband I need to be. You know, you guys only see me from the stage and you don't know what it's like when you go home with me. But, but my wife is a workhorse. She's always freed me to do whatever Scott needs to do. She says, it's part of my kingdom ministry. But I've just been realizing the whole time I've been letting her down. And maybe like your wife, my wife's never said anything to me. But I'm not trying to grow in Christ when my wife says I need to grow in Christ. I'm trying to be something more for her when she doesn't ask me. Because I know that if she'll see me growing without her needing me to grow or communicating the need for me to grow, she'll know this one thing, that I love that woman. And so, man, I'm asking you to do today is simply this. It's submit yourself to all the things that the Lord has spoke to us today. Be challenged by it. Not because it's right and the Word says that. Not only because of that, but because that beautiful woman that you said I do too wants to see how much you love her, wants to see if you still love her, and wants to know how long you will love her. And making change in our life, owning our responsibilities and owning our failures demonstrates to her a love like we've never been able to communicate, a love of responsibility, a love that is a choiceful love. It's an agape love. It's an unconditional love that says, even though I, I have reason to not be this way, I'm going to be better because I love you, regardless of what you give me. Stand with me. I'm going to pray us out. I'm going to pray over these men. And the worship team is going to dismiss us. Because the altar calls when you go home. That's where you respond. Father in heaven, We need you. We fell short. I'm thankful, God, some men in this room, God, they're, they're living their life out, Lord. They're doing what the Word has called them to do. They're walking strong. They're loving their wives. I thank, I thank God for them. But not all of us, Lord, are that way. Some of us, God, have not done any of it. And now all we feel is the shame and the guilt, heaviness. We failed. Some of us, God, are just struggling, Lord. Don't know how to manage some of the situations, God. In fact, right now, Lord, I know I've been in this place 
myself, Lord. We're, we're having issues of our heart, God, trying to justify why we're acting the way we're acting. The whole time pointing to Eve, blaming her. I pray, God, today that you would soften our hearts as men. Father, speak to your sons. Show us what you desire. Give us the strength, God, to be the men you have called us and equipped us to be. And then I pray, Father, that you would put a spirit of encouragement, cheer, love, and praise in our wives when they see us become more like you. Give us the strength to do it. Give us the conviction and do it. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.